Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is one of the greatest songwriters in the world. He's written for many of of your favorite country music artists, especially Brad Paisley, among others. Kelly Lovelace. Kelly, how are you today, buddy? Hey, glad to be here, Virgil. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking the yeah. time out of your busy schedule, although it's a little bit less busy maybe right now than it has been in the past. It is a little bit, yeah. It's different. But it's uh, it's obviously a very interesting time, so you get a chance to... Uh, you got you got plenty of things to write about when it's time to come yeah. the business time to yeah, come right. kick her back around again. <laughs> but in the process of, of songwriting, especially when you sit down with the biggest names in the industry... What are the collaboration sessions like when you get in the room with, like obviously Brad Paisley, you've known for mm-hmm. such a long time and you have a great rapport and you have this, probably this connection when you get in the room, you kind of both have a good feeling something awesome is going to happen today. Tell or me not, how these, or not. Or not. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, obviously maybe at age 15 you didn't know you were going to be writing songs all your life, but Correct. you got this process now where things are going pretty good what's a session like in your mind because it has to be i'm sure you have a game plan going in what's the game plan for you sitting down with you know whether you know that you're sitting with one of the greatest in the industry or you're sitting with somebody that you don't know that might be soon right what's your game plan going into a session it's it's a little different based on like you mentioned brad paisley who there's a, a friendship and a big comfort level you know with brad um as opposed to writing with if i had a um a write with Luke Bryan, who I know and we're friends, but I rarely, I don't get around him much. I don't see him. There'd be a lot more angst and intense pressure on that right for me mm-hmm. just because of the opportunity. And so I would want to, I would stress, I would pre-stress a little bit more before that one because I'm an idea guy by nature. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I feel like the right, whether it's with Brad 
or a Luke Bryan or to Carrie Underwood or just a regular write with great songwriters like Ashley Gordy, Dallas Davison, those, mm-hmm. those guys, um, I feel like the write is going to go well if I'm prepared and I bring in a hit idea. So I always put the pressure on myself. Even if I'm writing with a new writer that I, that I don't know, I just have that self-imposed pressure of bringing something in mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and I feel like if I if I have that then I'm excited to get there and I can't wait to throw it out mm-hmm. to be validated and they say oh what a great idea how do you do that you know mm-hmm. and so so uh, for me it's all about the pregame before I get there and and even if they don't like that particular idea I know that it's I know that it's good mm-hmm. and then I feel like I brought something of value that might get something started in the room. Yeah. Sometimes there's the, there's the challenge just getting things going. Getting things going. And so so if you just come in with nothing, you know, even though I've been blessed beyond what I ever thought I would as far as hits go and songs recorded and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. I've just I still act as if I'll never get another song recorded. I'll never get another song on the radio. And that's not an act. I really feel that way. Yeah. And so it keeps me digging and keeps me churning. And then I feel like if, if I can just bring something in, one, it, it creates energy. If I said, hey, guys, I got this thing, or I was up last night, or I got up early this morning, what do you think about this? And then they they like it or they don't, or they might love it and say, that's that's great, but but I just don't hear me saying that, or, or, yeah. or I've already written something kind of like that. Why don't we do this? And then, it, but it just gets it gets the room going, yeah. you know, and gets and it gets other people comfortable with throwing out something, you know. That's a great role to take then. Yeah. If you if you know that you, if you're you know that you're coming prepared, right? So even if you don't, if it doesn't pan out, just the mere fact that you're the willing to just like, all right, this is something. Whether it's, you know, I was thinking about this last night, or I've been pondering on this thought for a while. That like. Even if it doesn't work out, you know that you've planted other seeds in the room. Right. Like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Or you, you hear a lyric and you're like, ooh, you get a little vibe. Because I would imagine right. the artistic piece is the funnest part of it. Yeah. It's because like, I would probably imagine some of your songs just fell on you. Right. Because you were just, just had something going on and maybe somebody said something or even just a string of words. You're like... Oh, I like that, and you start right. tying some things in the past together. Right, man. That's, I mean, I love music. Obviously, I teach golf. Yeah, yeah. But music is my is like everything that I've ever done has a song attached to it. Just yeah. about. It's kind of funny those two industries. We're 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 each jealous of the other one. <laughs> I'm jealous of you because you're so good at golf, and I want to be that good at golf, and you can be jealous of, of me or other. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a, in a just we're in fun fields. And yeah. We're blessed to be in fun fields, and uh, uh, you know, and and going back to that uh, that idea thing a little bit, you know, sometimes when I feel like I've got something great, um, I will. I don't I don't jump on the room necessarily. I just kind of let it unfold a little bit because we always talk. You know, you get in there and talk about football. You talk about deer hunting fishing you yeah, know whatever's sure. going on and then then you kind of get to that you know and then if the artist especially if it's a new artist if they have something i want them to throw that out because i don't like to bull rush the session you yeah know? and i'm hoping that what they have is really good and that we can write that because they're going to feel more a part of it especially being a new mm-hmm. artist you know sure and so um so anyway but that's just all it but in case somebody doesn't that's why i want to come prepared and it doesn't mean i'm going to have a hit every mm-hmm. day or hit idea every day but i want to have something the best i want to have the best that i have that day yeah do you feel like you have a hallmark in which you're a guy who writes the love songs or the sad songs or the pain songs do you have a, a style that's you know in in you that you kind of gravitate to that brings out the best version of you or not not so much i don't know if uh so much i, I do feel like 
uh, a lot of the ideas that I come up with, you know, generally have the ones that get excited about have a good message, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's something hopeful, you know, whether it's like the, 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 a long time ago, the Joe Nichols song, The Impossible. Um, you have old Carrie Underwood song, Don't Forget to Remember Me. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And those are older songs, but still it's those meaning songs where when you write it, you feel like, hey, that should mean something to somebody because it sure. means something to me. And so you are trying to, I, I do like the hopeful stuff. I also like the funny stuff. And you can't get away with that as much unless you have an artist like Brad Paisley willing to do mm-hmm. um, funny stuff. I'm not as good at, at the tougher stuff like Jason Aldean, even though... Well, I can do that, but you got to be writing with the right people, you know, like, Interesting. like we, like Neil Thrasher and Bobby Pinson and I had a song called Rearview Town, which went number one on Jason Aldean's last uh, record, but that was Neil Thrasher's idea. So we were in, we were just writing in that room and we're trying to come up with tough type stuff. And Neil Thrasher is one of my best buddies and mm-hmm. he's had tons of success with Jason Aldean and he just, he just kind of knows the stuff that he will like, yeah. kind of like I know more how the stuff Brad would like because yeah. we're we're close and so but once we get on that idea I have no problem writing anything mm-hmm. you know and just trying to make that idea the best that it can be sure one of the things I'm, I'm fascinated by because I'm mostly a rock and roll guy yeah but I, being in Music City USA and knowing so many people in the industry whether it be publishers writers songwriters I mean, and and singers themselves do you sense that writing with Willie Nelson or Chris Christopherson or Johnny Cash in the day, and maybe you didn't do it with Johnny Cash, but the older guard versus the newer guard. What's the differences of a session with a legend and the newer the newer player the newer players in the game? I mean, it's a great question. I really don't know uh, personally because I didn't write with with those guys. Uh, I can imagine that would be unbelievably intimidating now because of the icons that they sure. are. Um, I would say, just based on my experience, I feel like it would take longer sometimes than a lot of things do today. It seems like we're all in, like used to, we'd get to, everybody would get there at 10, we'd start at 10. Mm-hmm. Well, now the common time is 11. And, and used to, we'd start at 10, then everybody go to Longhorn at noon, mm-hmm. you'd get back at 2. Everybody's tired because they ate so much and go home. <laughs> no, but, but a lot of times you actually would write until five or six or seven, mm-hmm. you know, late. And some writers still still do that. You know, Wiseman's, to, you know, uh, you know, uh, famous for doing that and just staying until he gets it done, you know, yeah. and, which is awesome work ethic. You know, that's why one reason why he's done uh, so incredible. But um, but nowadays it's it's we start at 11 and somebody's going to be late. So you really get everybody in there. There's three people get there about 11:30 you talk about the vols you know Alabama Georgia mm-hmm. whatever for about 30 minutes it's noon and somebody needs to leave around 2:45 or 3 mm-hmm. you know a lot of the times you sure. know? now I'm good with that because as soon as somebody says they got to leave I'm going to the range and I'm going to hit balls that's right <laughs> you, you know? got so, a plan <laughs> so yeah so I always I always come generally uh, unless I'm right with an artist you know I will I will come kind of golf ready mm-hmm. you know a little bit especially in the summer it's easy you just wear shorts and hybrid shoes and mm-hmm. t-shirt and then you change your shirt on the way that's right <laughs> and then, uh, but um but anyway i just feel like i feel like today it, it, it's quicker um a lot of the you know the younger writers they're 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 really good and they're really quick and ashley gorley is probably one of the fastest writers i've ever written with because being fast doesn't mean cutting corners it's just not what i was used to you mm-hmm. know i was used to that the brad paisley you know even chris dubois mold and frank rogers where it was it was slow it was painstaking and like every word 
mattered, you know, and, and it was painful sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you stayed on something so long. It's like, God, guys, does this really matter that much, you know, but it really did, you know, to, to Brad. And so that kind of got into me to where I really started thinking, you know, thinking that way too. But I've also learned it doesn't always have to take a long time. Sometimes it just falls out. And sometimes because the line, just because the line is not incredible doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, sometimes something cliche can be okay. And I've, I've kind of kidded about this sometimes in a co-write, you know, somebody will say, well, is that, is that line good enough? And, and I say, well, you got to have some weak lines in there because then the good lines aren't going to stand out. (laughs) (laughs) If every line's great, will the, will the consumer really know that they're great? Mm -hmm. You know, but, uh, so you kind of think that sometimes, and, and there's even uh, lines in some of the hits that I've had that I've, that I think, wow, that could have been a little bit better, but truth is. I don't think anybody really cares that yeah. much. And I think the writer sometimes cares uh, so much about it. And you can care too much mm. and maybe take too long and slow the process down and frustrate, especially a young artist. If you're just sitting in there yeah. kind of being the old vet and like, like, no, man, it needs to be like this. And they say, well, I like that. Well, you got to, to me, you have to think and you have to kind of grow, you know, with the younger people and realize if that young artist likes that line and he wants to sing it or she wants to sing it, who am I to sit there and say, especially if I don't know them, sure. know that you're you're wrong, because you know, they're the one going out there on the stage and doing it. Yeah, you know. So so and, and as long as the line makes sense, then then I'm I'm okay with it. If I would I would I would argue with a younger artist, if not argue, but just say say, hey, I know you like that. Could we say it like this? Because for some reason that's not making a lot of sense to me. And generally they would say, dude, that's fine. I love that too. You know what that's I mean? Cool. Oh, yeah. Like, like, would you, where do you put like a Paisley and a Kenny Chesney? They've been at it for a long time, but they're certainly not Chris Christopherson and, and uh, yeah, Willie Nelson and that right. group. But they're also not this new age either. And Kenny Chesney's kind of evolved from like classic country to almost like beach, right. beach country. Yeah. So is Zach Brown in some ways too. But yeah, it's interesting how there's like eras in country music and right. how they, there are people that stand out and it's like, Kenny and Brad and yeah, Garth Brooks to a certain extent, although Garth Brooks is uh, massively massive. Right. Um, right. I just find it fascinating how each particular era has their own face and style attached to it. Right. You know, well, how do you, like when you've written with Kenny and, and Brad, how's that different than Jason Aldean? You know, uh, ironically, I've had a couple songs recorded by Kenny. I know Kenny. He's very good to me, um, and uh, you know, I would con- I would consider his friends, but we don't we don't hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just um, you know everybody has their tight you know circles. But if I've I've seen Kenny at you know a restaurant here and there, and then we'll talk for a little bit. You know, and yeah. He's he's super nice, and and uh, and I, I really respect his music. So I don't know what it is I don't know what it's like to write with him. Uh, but talking about you know him and Brad, and you're right about the different classes. Are kind of like the, you know, you know, I'm my high school is a class of '86. You know, so all of us kind of came up together. Yeah, that's the same with Chesney and 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 Paisley, uh, Keith Urban, Tim McGraw, all around that. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. But and they were after you know say Clint Black, Alan Jackson, Garth Brooks. That's that class you know mm-hmm. here. And so you mentioned like the like the the Willies and the Whalen and stuff like that. Well, to to younger people these classes will be the Willie and the Waylands, you mm-hmm. know, the Chesneys and the McGraws and the Paisley. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Because, yeah. cause you and I, we were, or I, I, I say me, you know, I'm 52. I'm closer to 
to the age of the Willies and Waylands. You know what I mean? Like they were they were already been rocking for a long time, and it was cool to to like them, and it's still cool to like them. Oh yeah. But you know, ten years from now, it's going to take people a while to 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 discover artists of that era, right? Mm-hmm. But they'll really they'll still hear about. They'll know be still be pretty prevalent with the Chesneys and McGraws and Aldeans and things like sure. that. And Aldeans, another one you mentioned him. I haven't, I haven't written with uh, Jason and, and he doesn't write a lot. I think he might write some, but I've never written with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just really good. And the same with Chesney. I would say this about uh, both, both of them uh, specifically and McGraw too. Um, it's no accident why you have like the artists that we're talking about and mentioning they're at the top of the food chain, you know, and um, it's not an accident. The, those those people and Carrie Underwood, the you know the um, you know Kelsey Ballerini, Marin Morris, all the all these artists that are that are either getting to the top of the food chain or, or at the top, it's not an accident, and and it's not lucky that they're the biggest ones. It's it's their business mindset. They they are they are determined that's what they're going to do, and they work at it all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're not just sitting around, you know, just. All, all day long playing golf every day and partying every night and then throwing out songs that they randomly find. That's not happening. Yeah. They're very purposed and, and it is a, it is a business. Uh, and, and it's just, it's just not an accident. There's a lot of artists, mm-hmm. but, but you and I are going to throw around maybe five or six names, Yeah, but there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Those that are on the top of the mountain didn't just land there. Exactly right. You know, exactly, exactly so right. So true. You know? And and they're great at you know like you know like Chesney and, and Aldine and McGraw, they are uh, very gifted. You mentioned Chesney becoming you know having a lot of the beach you know type uh, uh, music and stuff like that. And, and like with Brad, you know he has a lot of a lot of funny stuff, but life stuff. He's he's pretty eclectic. He yeah, does, he you is. Know, very few, you know, a lot of things. And then, and then McGraw does just so much of the life stuff, you know, which is so, so dang good, like humble and kind. Everything yeah. just freaking kills me. They are very gifted, you know, and they can, they can write their own songs if they, if they want, if they wanted to do that, they could, mm-hmm. and they could spend more time doing that. They are gifted at picking the right songs. There's tons of songs that could be hits in Nashville that are never going to be hits because there's not enough, time in, sure. in the world and in, on the charts uh, for all of them to come out but those artists weed through a, a bunch of great songs because they're not getting pitch crappy songs yeah you know they're getting pitch songs that they could record and if they pick the right one it could be a hit but they are gifted at picking the exact right one for them for that time interesting you know and and chesney's great at it mcgraw's good at it. aldine's great at it they're they're just they know what their brand is and they stick to that brand and mm-hmm. and they and they have found they have found it mm-hmm. and they stick by it and they don't stray from it too often and if they do and something they had try something really really different and it doesn't work for some reason they right back back to that brand and and it's not a matter of being safe it's just a matter of knowing what your audience wants yeah. from you they don't they don't want they don't want Chesney to do uh, something that they don't think he should do. You know what so I mean? Just, you can only branch out so far, and you, you know, and, you, and there's it's a very fine line without rehashing what you've done and doing something new and different. It's yeah. a very fine line. No very, question. Very hard. Yeah, like that's my, that's one of my favorite things to think about when it comes to my favorite bands. They constantly get pigeonholed or the fans become restless because it doesn't sound like their first two albums. Right. And like 
Pearl Jam and Led Zeppelin and Tool. My probably my my main and, and Coldplay. I love Coldplay. Right. They're really big into knowing who they are, but stretching out a little bit in a variety of different ways. Right. And they get so much grief for not being. Pearl Jam 10. Right. <laughs> or Led Zeppelin 1, 2, 3, or 4. Right. Like, as soon as they stepped away from 4 and went into Houses of the Holy and in through the outdoor, people, like, lost their minds because they, they went a little more bluesier and a little deeper into their their lyrics, and the songs right. got way longer. And, like, people just lose their mind. And, I like, listening to the people talk about the new Pearl Jam album, like, sucks, not right. as good as 10. I'm like, right. well... <laughs> If you would listen to ten, listen to ten. <laughs> exactly, and it and it's really. I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine the you know the pressure that an artist or a band feels because it's very difficult. At some point, you know, you have covered every topic mm-hmm. probably more than once, and there's no more topics that you haven't covered. You've covered drinking songs. You've covered beach songs, water songs, skiing, drinking by the lake, drinking by the river, drinking on a mountain, you know, <laughs> drinking in the city, drinking in the country, drinking in a small town, you know, but, but there's only so, you know, at some point it is, how, how can I continue to be different? And then, and then people say, oh, we want something different from this, this artist who's been putting out stuff for 10, 15 years. We want yeah. something, we, we want something different. And so they give them something different and they say, uh, we don't we don't like that. We we want the cla- we want the classic, mm-hmm. and then so they give them the classic. And say, oh, you've already done that. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so, really so tough. It's 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 a challenge, and uh, and it, and just it, it it does get harder and harder. You know, same, same with writers. Really, you've you've covered everything ten or twenty times. Yeah, it's just a matter of trying to tweak something just a little bit different, where it's say it in a different that a different way that at least interests you. you sure, know? and and the thing that's so f- interesting to me is I've had some really interesting people on here before talking about how th- as things evolve in, in your career like you, like it's interesting like how th- almost all music you can tell a band that's going to explode and make it at their fourth album there aren't mm-hmm. many people that like so some people talk about the sophomore album but usually if you get to the third and you've done great Right. If you make a great fourth album, you're gone forever. Right. And the, and another, another piece that's that kind of goes the same with that is that rock and country are somewhat different. Is that it's really it, it appears to me from, from what I've heard and what I'm seeing that it is way more important for the country artist to stay relevant and put something out every year than it is for a, a big rock act or a pop act. Yeah. Where does that originate from, and why? I don't know. It's interesting, and at, at a, and all I really can speak to is what I see happen in country. Just because mm-hmm. I don't follow, it's really it's really all I all I sure. follow. Um, it is interesting how that's changed over the course of time. Because I mean, used to you, if you didn't get on somebody's you know record or CD or or, or whatever, I mean, it's going to be a couple of years before they come back around. You know, sure. now especially the the big artists, if you miss if you miss it and you're not on there, I mean six months from now they're going to be looking for songs again you know so it's like all right i'm just gonna keep writing for all the i'm gonna keep writing for chesney or mcgraw whoever just try to get get in there on the next the next go around it it's more it it feels like that entertainment music songs are a little more disposable nowadays it's just everybody just just eating stuff up you know media just eating media just like Mm -hmm. like Pac-Man, you know, just eating stuff, eating stuff so quick, sure. and even new new acts, 
they are kind of forced just by the nature of social media and what's happening now. They're releasing stuff all the time, you know, and, and even the new people that are just getting deals or just on the verge of getting deals. You're, and the reason I can kind of speak to this is because writers are affected by it. Mm-hmm. Say we're set, our publisher sets us up to write with a, a new artist who everybody's liking and they're about to get a record deal. That's what we're hearing, so that's why we're in the room. And so we're trying to write the best thing possible with whoever we're with, we're with that day. And then, and then you write something, and then that artist ends up, you know, putting it out, you know, somewhere on Spotify or where, you know, wherever it's it's going out, so that it boosts their their numbers and their followers and all mm-hmm. this stuff because they need to have some heat to get labels interested yeah. in them. But what happens in the meantime to the writers is those songs get burnt. They're not making any money. Yeah. We're not making any money off that. You know, you might get pennies, you mm. know, here and there, but it's not being released somewhere. They're not. It's not going to. You know. You know what I mean? It's sure. just. It's just disposable, and it definitely helps. It helps the artist, um, but as far as the writers, there, mm-hmm. it really doesn't. It really doesn't do anything. And there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah. Because I need to continue to write with artists. Young artists, mid-level, older artists, whatever. Yeah, that's where your money is made, and so, so you still need to do it. It's just that I think the the fans, and if one artist is putting out two, three things, you know, a month or a quarter or whatever, well, if he's the only one doing it or she's the only one doing it, the other ones better do it too. Yeah, you know what I mean because Wonder. they need content, and so, um, I mean that's just kind of the way it's changed. Yeah. I think. I think, and that's one of the evolutions from, you know, the I, you know, the what Apple did to the music industry, is it? I mean, forever it was the album, right? And then it it was a slow evolution off of the album into kind of just release stuff whenever you want to release stuff. I just saw on Spotify, Chris Stapleton must be getting ready to have an, another album because this is the third new song released, right? You know, and another guy that I love is uh, Rustin Kelly, mm-hmm. and he left like a song came out like every week for like the for five weeks, and then this album came out, and there was like eleven or twelve songs on it. Right, that used to never happen. No, and it's a combination of like how where the music industry is coming from, and then another swift kick in the teeth with COVID. No tours, no real reason to then put out you know much music because well we can't really do anything with it. Right, how do you see? Like what's going on right now with the the country music and the songwriting piece as it's on a mega hiatus, so to speak, and then where do you see it maybe being spit out on the other side of COVID? As far as like the overall music and artists and recordings yeah. and all this stuff, and like and like the intertwining between the writer, the artist, the recording, and the business of music. Yeah, it's um, you know, just just from from my standpoint, um. On the writing aspect, I think it's definitely a slowed down. For me personally, I'm not writing as much mm-hmm. uh, just because not everybody will get together in the same room. A lot of artists hate writing via Zoom, but that's our publishers are all pushing us, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, said, hey, you know, a lot of people are doing Zoom. They're loving Zoom. You got to get on. And, and I'm reluctant saying, eh, yeah, I'm going to wait and see. And, and then, but, but then you started thinking, well, this thing's going to be around for a while, so you can't just not work, you know? Yeah. And so you just started doing it. And I kind of like writing Zoom as long as two people aren't playing at the same time because there's latency. And, it, and you're having to say, hey, stop, just one of you play because you can't, you know, here. It is kind of weird because you are you might tell a joke or something like that to 
to somebody you hadn't written with before and all of a sudden they're in freezes up and I'm thinking, Oh, did I just insult them? And I think, Oh no, they're froze. They're froze. There, you know? So, so, uh, so anyway, I think, I think, uh, some of it has slowed down, but we've, we've all kind of gotten used to it. And then some people just trudged on through and didn't worry about it. You know, sure. say, Hey, I'm not worried about code. We're going to get together and we're going to write and trudge through and probably maybe even wrote more, you know, trying to take advantage and probably smart, you yeah. know, just while everybody else is laying back and seeing what's happening, we're going to turn out stuff and be, and be pitching, you know, because artists were, they have more time to listen, you know, to stuff. They do have more time to write. Yeah. So it was a good, whether it's, uh, you know, online or, or via zoom or something like that, they have more time to do it. So a lot of people were taking advantage of those opportunities. Um, they weren't recording there for a while because nobody could get together, but they have been doing that. So sure. some people are recording. Um, it has been, it's it, some, I've, and I've heard even, even yesterday there, there's some artists that say, Hey, I don't want to put anything out right now, just in the, in the midst of all this, you know? And, but then the other ones would say, no, we totally need to. This is a, this is entertainment. This is a life distraction. We need to do it. You know, so you know, there's a little bit of two camps. I think the majority of people would want to keep putting stuff out, uh, and and you know, entertaining us, distracting yeah. us because we need it. We need music. Uh, we need that. Re we need that release. And uh, uh, and I I think I think and I pray just like I think about sports um, that everything will get back to whatever normal it becomes you mm -hmm. know and it will be kind of like it used to be whether whether songs will come out faster move up the charts faster and fall off i don't know that's always cyclical you know it just seems like over the course of time sometimes hits take a long time sometimes they take a short amount of time sure you know? so i really don't know what it'll be like on the other end it seems to me like things are starting to normalize you know just business-wise yeah you know because one not that the virus is gone or anything, but people are emotionally tired of it. Yeah, the fatigue is tr leading to normalcy. To, to normalcy, to where, to where you know, even just on you know, from our standpoint, we we eat out more. Uh, I mean, we never worry about it on the golf course. People are still nobody high fives. We all fist bump. Everybody does that. People still, you know, shake hands. We I've been doing shows lately, the writer shows, and once you're at the show. Um, people worry about it until they get there. And then once they're there, it's, it's no different. People are coming up, they're still drinking, still talking to you about, you know, 12 inches away from your face. I mean, yeah. You know, it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of people are, the, the, the virus is still here, but people are, they're tired of it. And they're so, just trying to, I, I guess, just will it away. <laughs> you know? That's what it comes to. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but it's just, I think, Another thing that's fun, I mean, I teach a lot of doctors. I think that the big the big key is that it's not going anywhere, but because it's been here now for six or seven months, the doctors are getting so good at understanding what's going on right? <clears throat> that people are obviously still get it, but they're not dying at the rate that they were at the beginning because we just right. didn't know. Right. So people are, you know, starting to see like, well, this, they seem to have a better rap on it. It's going to suck if I get it, but, right. you know, it doesn't look like I'm going to die. Like you're starting to yeah, feel starting the, to get the, the fatigue of that piece of like, okay, so it's not as super duper bad as I we thought it was at the beginning. Right. Now it's just a really, hopefully I don't get the worst of it, but it looks like it's going to be like a three-day flu right. and, a, and a four-day recovery and then I'm, I'm back on. Yeah, I think the, the, the fear of it has, is being minimized. Where the beginning of it, just watching news, they, were, they did a great job of scaring the hell out of us. I mean, I was like, I wouldn't leave that friggin' house. No kidding. You know, like, right. you know the, which is kind of funny. My, my wife, she, she uh, manages the Airbnbs and stuff, you know. 
and she couldn't find toilet paper. You know, it was like the first, that was the first thing that was out. And I was thinking, why, why, why is the toilet paper the first to go? I mean, if there ain't no food, you ain't going to need any toilet paper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why was that the first? Why wasn't it the food? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that, that's one of the things that does not make any sense <laughs> <was> whatsoever. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Walk into a Target, and in two full rows are nothing but empty <laughs> empty shelves. Right. Unbelievable. But all the meat and cheese, and the, everything's there. <laughs> Plenty of meat you know? and cheese. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's like, things that we're going to look back on at first that were so maddening and frustrating. Frustrating. We're just gonna laugh. I know. I know. And, it's, and the thing is, though, is like, is like everything you're saying is correct. Um, you know, but we still have to. People, we're still using our common sense. You, we we have to live. We have to work. Be as smart as you can. You do wash your hands. You know. Yeah. I, I hadn't touched my face since I was 12. You know, because I'm a germaphobe by nature anyway. Yeah. So, you know, don't touch your face. Wash your hands and all that stuff. Because you, the main thing is, like for me, my mom's 74, and so. I don't want it just because I think that my symptoms wouldn't be as as bad. Well, what if hers were? Because because you you hear people they're asymptomatic or somebody that has like a, a cold for a couple of days, but then other people, no rhyme or reason, they just get a different. Yeah. I, I don't know if it, a, a different dose of a different strain, or whatever. So you just so I'm definitely not cocky about it. Certainly you know? not. Um, you know you don't want it, but mainly I don't want to. You know be the one to do do a show and then go give it to my mom you know so anytime after that I, you know if i go if we watch football you know over at her house or whatever we're you know we'll still social distance and uh, i'll let them get their food and everything sure. then i'll go get uh-huh. get my just just in case because you just don't know you just don't know yeah 100 percent correct there yeah. when you you're going into a, a, a writing session have you ever gone into some place and literally been blown away not to discount anybody else's talents but like you went into some place and you met with an artist for the first time and were absolutely blown away by their talent and or ability to deliver the goods uh yeah i would say the most recent example of that um is chris jansen uh moved into uh really connected to right next to to Brad Paisley's property, of which we we all live on the same farm, and I already knew uh, I knew who Chris was, but I didn't know he knew who I was, and mm. and I forgot how we got got connected. But we ended up, you know, writing one day, and uh, and we went down there and just talked about a couple ideas, and I threw out this idea uh, to him, and 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 I'd, I'd never seen him live or anything, you know. I just heard his. I think he'd already had buy me a boat, you mm-hmm. know, out, and and so I liked him as an artist, but I just really was clueless and. And, um, which I have to kind of, you know, I'd have to get my, on my buddy, Chris Dubois about that. Cause he had, he hid Jansen from me for <laughs> quite a while, but, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, you know, I threw out a couple of things and he, he goes, he goes, man, he goes, he goes, I love that. What about this? And then he just, he just starts singing this, this melody and this, and spitting out almost a whole verse. Wow. Just randomly and just quick fire. You know, and I'm I'm just sitting there trying to, you know, and I'm I've done push record, you know, and just typing stuff in, you know, as fast as you could, just to get so, cause God, I like that, I like that, I like that, and um, and then and I and I said, dude, I said that's that's amazing, you know, I just, you just threw that out, and he goes, man, it's tell you, I just kind of write, you just get it out as quick as can, then we can fix it. So what 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 we kind of did, he just shotgunned a bunch of brilliance on me, just all all over, just real quick, mm-hmm. and it really wasn't, but. It, couple hours or so and then i would go up you know to my place and and spend you know a good long time just kind of 
putting everything together and saying, okay, I wonder if we move this here, move this here. I'm not sure if this makes sense. And then, and then send him back something, you know, and then he'd either like it or he wouldn't yeah. and go like that. But in the moment uh, of just not knowing anything about him and him being able to, to shoot out lyric and melody like that, that, that quick, that one, that one blew me away. That's my most recent yeah. uh, of that. And there's a lot of guys like that. Sure. You're just not able to write with all of them. And I, I don't have experiences with all of them, but, mm-hmm. but Jansen, um, he, he impressed me. That's so cool. Yeah. Like to me, that's like to, when I'm, when I get a chance to work with a client for the first time, never knowing who I'm going to, who I'm going to see. And I'll see somebody come in and, you know, not really, I'm not really that good. I've been str- kind of struggling lately. And then like, they make right. a swing, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Right, right. This is going to be so fun. Right. And that's what makes, I think, what makes our job so awesome Yeah, is that the literal unknown of what's going to happen every yeah. single day. Or this this artist that walks in the room, and you know how you, you're always, you know, assessing people. And like, like you said, you might have a golfer that comes in, and, and maybe they just got a nonchalant walk and they don't look real confident or whatever and they come in and just blister one you know right oh, down yeah. the middle and and uh the same with like an artist you're you're kind of maybe they'll come in and, and they're not really saying much and and they just kind of look like an everyday you know person thinking well they don't really look like an artist you know <laughs> um you know good looking but just doesn't yeah. doesn't have that that uh that artist look you know and and then all of a sudden you'll start writing you'll get through you know through the day and then they start singing something it's like Oh wow! That had, I had no idea you were going to sound like that. Yeah, you because know, it's just the voice didn't match the you yeah. know the the you know the the face and everything is like that big voice coming out of this 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 smaller body. You mm-hmm. know. Um, anyway, it's just I've learned to just let things unfold and not you yeah. know, not prejudge you know, sure. anything. Well, I thought it was interesting. I was doing this. Uh, I was doing the podcast with Neil. Yeah, and we were talking about the the relationship between golf and music certainly country music but the, it's there's really interesting obviously because i live here in nashville and to know how much charity events go on and the first one that i had the opportunity to be a part of was the the rio diamond rio it used to mm-hmm. be a big event at hermitage golf course right and and i asked him like do you and kelly like write when you're playing we never write when we're playing now, if we get an idea, we might write it down, but we never talk business when we're playing golf. Right. Because golf's the business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's true. The, the main thing we talk about on the course is, hey, where's my ball? Hey, did you, <laughs> hey, did you see that? That's a great shot. Or, or, hey, did that carry the hazard? Is that in the water? That, uh, but, but, but a lot of times in, in between, you know, We'll be, we'll be talking or whatever. Or somebody else will say something, especially if it's Neil and I together, because you know he's my main co. We we write every week, you know, and he's mm-hmm. a great a great buddy, but also a great writer, and we have a great uh, writing chemistry too. So if I have a great idea, I want to I'm going to pitch it to him, and and sometimes we'll come up with an idea and we'll talk about it for a minute. He'll put it in his phone. He might think about it for two or three minutes, and we'll we'll and we'll might get excited about it. And then that's about it. We'll put it away. So we, we want, we, he's right. We don't continue to try to write over the next few holes. We're, we're trying to play as good as we can play. Sure. And then, but we have, you, you kind of got that and you tuck it away and you think mm. I will work on that, you know, Tuesday. And it kind of gives you some, you know, momentum work-wise and you feel like, Hey, we got something out of playing golf. And that way I can go home and, and tell my wife, I said, see, that's why we play. That's why we play. We're making money while we're out there. <laughs> 
You know, it's uh, it's it's actually work. It's work. Those and, and she holes, buys that. She buys that. Yeah, hook, and, line, and, and, and if and if we got that idea in eighteen holes, thirty six. No telling. Can what you imagine? We what? can get. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to work on that. See if yeah. I can make that work. <laughs> yeah, she's not buying it. She doesn't buy that no. for a second. Uh, good try though. Yeah, <laughs> with the delivery with a smile is key. Right, right. that's exactly. so funny. When obviously we've spent plenty of time here talking about the things that have helped make you great at what you do. But it would be a lie, I know, to think that everything was a straight shot of ascension to where you are today. What is something that you've had to persevere through that you didn't know that you were going to make it through? That when you did, it steeled up your resolve to know that you can take on just about anything and make it through. What was your key perseverance moment that has helped you to land where you are today? Uh, that would be joining the Army. And I did that because, one... Uh, I was I was going to UTC at the time, and I wasn't doing very good. Uh, I was up in the rec hall, and I was playing pool, and I was gambling up there. And I was actually doing pretty good. Uh, but uh, See, Dad, I was, I'm making money. I know, I'm making money. and uh, But I wasn't going to class because it was college. I always heard you, they didn't take attendance, you mm -hmm. know, and, and they don't. But if you never go, uh, you're not going to do very well. Um, so <laughs> Let's make that clear. I, I'd already, I was already failing failing out of there and, and there's a really really uh, virtual a few things that was happening so it was living in a small town and so i was waiting tables stuff like that and making making enough money you know beer and pizza money but you're you know you're just kind of running around a, a group and you're doing the same thing and you're just part you're just partying a lot nothing, nothing crazy but that's just it's just all it's just all you're doing which sounds really fun you know but in your mind you know you realize this is not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be doing the exact same thing, you know, when I'm 30, 40, 50 years old, if I don't, if I don't do something, but it's also hard to break out of your really close friends that mm -hmm. are all doing that. And some of them still doing kind of the exact same thing. Yeah. And, and, uh, and now I'm jealous of them because I'm like, ah, oh, you're doing, <laughs> you're, having, you're having more fun than I am. I'm working my ass, my ass off. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I was, I was trying to, to, break out of that because I knew I was wired for something else just to know exactly what it was I was uh, wasting my dad's money at UTC I was scared of that coming up and I watched Rambo First Blood and and when I saw that movie you know the scene where Sylvester Stallone he's, he's running from everybody and then he jumps off this rock cliff and he goes in that pine tree and he falls all the way down and he gets to the bottom he's got that huge gash there yeah. in his bicep and he takes out his knife unscrews gets the needle and sews up his arm uh huh I was looking at that, and I leaned up, and I says, I want to do that. And I joined the Army, like, that next week. Wow. And it just it just seemed right to do it. And I, I joined with a buddy of mine, his name is Randy Cordell. And and I actually, I, I, I loved the Army. It was, it was a two-year plan. It was a college plan. You get money for college and all that stuff. And um, and I, I loved I loved basic training. I loved advanced individual training. It was, like, 13 weeks. It was, hard, it was hardcore. And uh, and. But I really loved it, and mm. it gave me a, a lot of structure. It also, to go back to your point of something where you feel like you could, you know, once you went through something, you feel like you could do anything. Um, for me, and there's no combat, you know, uh, we didn't go anywhere. But just the just the basic training, the AIT, and that 13 weeks, I I knew that not everybody could do that because I watched a lot of people go home, and I watched a lot of people, and I saw young men, big young men, ripped young men, cry. I mean, that could not do it. 
Wow. You know? And uh, and I just knew going through that, and I excelled. I ended up being um, uh, it was called distinguished honor graduate, where you're the number one soldier in every category out of mm. 160 wow. men. You know, and so and I was really a little guy. You know, but. But I'm also a pleaser by nature, I, just from my dad, from my mom, whether it's playing sports or whatever. I mean, I would go over the top just trying to please. I want to please my dad. I want to please my teacher. I want to please my boss. I want to please my wife. I want to please my son. I'm just a pleaser, yeah. which it, it drives you crazy, you know, but but it also drives you, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, but for me, when I graduated, um, you know, and you're all in your class A's and you're up there and your parents are there and everything and you got that crooked hat on and you're looking over and you're high and tight and everything. I mean, I just was so proud, you know, just, just thinking one is for your country, which I, I did love that because I felt like, okay, I am giving something, you know, to, yeah. my, to my country. And it was really hard. Not everybody could do it. And I did it and excelled it, at it. And I knew from th- that point forward, I said, nothing I can do would be any harder than that ever yeah. unless you're doing that. Sure. And now I'm not doing that. So I'm out. Mm. So I can go in an office. Who can't go in an office? I mean, that's right. I can do that. You know, mm. I didn't know I was going to be a writer, you know, or a singer or anything like that. But, but that was my, that was the the moment. That was the the thing that I did to let me know that I could do anything that I wanted to. I just didn't know what it was yet. Sure. Well, this gives you. I didn't. I knew that you you did that, but does you tell with a a level of passion that I wasn't quite prepared for. Uh, and this is this is something that's interesting to me. Being that you've been in the military. And you respect, and you've gained a level of respect for the country and the founding fathers and where this country came from. And then you're you're forced to sit and endure what we're watching mm. right now. What's your remedy for this civil unrest and this craziness? This there is no middle ground. There's no like almost no common sense anymore. It's like radical right, radical left. There's no middle ground, and you almost don't know where you can find truth because it doesn't seem like we're able we're able to even get a teaspoon of truth right right now. And in a world where it seems like there's so much less respect given to authority, and even maybe less respect than that given to the history of this country. So there's this weird balance between how much history matters, and if you don't pay attention to it, you get to repeat it again. Right. Where do you like? What's your feelings on today's moment with your experience? Well, and and that's the large, large question. You know? Sure. Um, I don't know what the what the remedy is. I just know that, um, and there there's there's things that are getting mixed together that I think is causing a a huge problem that I don't know how we separate because now that you've, you know, some, somehow racial inequality has become equal with hating America and it's it's interwoven now. And I don't know how you take those two apart. I don't know that you can because, because, you know, it's, it, it is what it is now. And so if, if you say, Hey, you should love your country, then somebody else who, feels that their country hasn't loved them and their country doesn't treat them the same way. Yep. So they're they're going to disrespect the flag in the country because the country has disrespected, has, has disrespected them. So how, how do you get that? I, I don't know that you can separate those anymore. I, I don't Good know what will happen there, and nor do I have the answers. I, I just know that 
And and for me, you know, uh, I, I I know for sure I I grew up blessed. I mean, my parents weren't rich by any means, but you know, my dad had a he had a, a good job. Mom stayed home and and we drove her crazy and she drove us crazy and mm-hmm. and uh but but very blessed you know and we we always had food we had clothes we went to school i was never threatened because i went to school so so we, i am privileged i understand that yeah. and i don't know what it's like not i don't that's 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 the life i live and that's the only one i can preach on that's right but i do know that that you know that I, that I'm blessed, and if I were born, you know, a, a different color in a different place, different location, that, and I didn't feel safe, and I and I and I was hungry, and and maybe my my dad wasn't around, or or, um, and my school, I I was scared to death to walk to school or, or whatever. It's a whole different thing, and my Absolutely. opportunities, you know, you know, I mean, I was able to go to it was public school, but you know, it was it was good enough. I will say that my my, my public school didn't prepare me to to um, enter into uh, Chattanooga State uh, Community <laughs> College, I had to take a whole year for medial courses just to get up to, with no credit, just to get up to par to be able to go to college. Wow. So it wasn't like my public school was amazing, but I really wasn't scared to go there. I mean, a little bit, because I was scrawny, and there's always some, you know, we called them, uh, there were hoods back then, they're, they, they're, they smoked and had the switchblades, and they were scary and everything, yeah. and they wore the army jackets. You know, That's ironically, right. later, I went in the army. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's so but, true. Uh, but anyway, um, but, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just know that for me, even after I'd gotten out of the army, I was in a theater when I was watching Save It Private Run, and they were coming in on those U-boats, and you're hearing the bullets, you know, clang off that metal, knowing that as soon as they dropped it, they're going to get shot. And you had the soldiers, and they're just, just they're throwing up, and they're they're you know doing the doing the cross, you know, the Catholics are doing the cross on yeah. their chest and forehead, and and I and I was just sitting there, and you watch that, you watch it open, and then them get mowed down, and get mowed down on the beach and everything, and I was just in tears, you know. And just thankful. That's the, probably the most powerful 13 minutes in any movie I've ever no, seen. It makes me more cry like right now. Yeah, it's because, so overwhelming. Because I'm, I'm thinking those kids scared out of their minds, as I w- as anybody would be. You know, you got a really good chance of getting dying as soon as that door drops. Yep. That those kids that we don't even know who they are, or where they came from, or anything is is th- those people that died are just some of the people who allow me to live the life that I lead. And so I will just be forever grateful. Yeah. You know? And so, so for me, I could never, no matter what happened to me in my life, if I get fired or if somebody, if somebody does something terrible to me or burns down my house or, you know, I, I, I won't go immediately say I hate America because it just doesn't make sense. Sure. But, uh, other people have chosen to do that. And we've, um, racial inequality in with with hating America and I, I don't know what, what's going to happen from there I really don't know it is a thing where you think about just my wife is like like how do you how does anyone fix that how how, how do you fix that yeah. you know uh, I do know based on what's happening now and I won't speak you know politically but you know with Black Lives Matter and, and all that stuff I know and this is just for me you know I'm one of these people that I've I've watched enough and read enough where I would never say to anyone, uh, whether it's my close friends or if I were speaking somewhere, I would never be one to say, say, well, all lives matter. I, I would just never say that because I know that a different race of people are not treated the same way 
that I am. They, they just, they're based on my experience and what I see, mm-hmm. uh, have not had the same opportunities. So to me, I would be arrogant just to me, just speaking for yeah. me and not to other people, but I would feel arrogant, um, saying that statement because I know now, now as far as the, the movement, you know, BLM, um, you know, that's a whole nother, another subject, mm-hmm. but I, I can see why people are angry mm-hmm. and, and I guess, you know, we're, and me and my wife, we battle about it all the time and, um, she's small, but she's fiery, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, but you know, I, I get, I mean, if, if you don't get why, uh, the black people are, are angry, mm-hmm. then there's something missing. There. <laughs> you got that right. You know, um, and 100%. I know, and now, and then the media does a great job of keeping it stoked, so stoked. And they're looking for, you know, any kind of, especially police stuff, you know, just the, they're, they're looking for things, you know, like that. But, um, but I, I, I get it. And at least at right, at least for right now, even for me, which I feel like I've, uh, certainly not, not racist at all and and just don't have that in my being and I think generations to come as time goes on and it will take time mm-hmm. for it to fade out That's you right. know, just to where it's just not even like they will look back in history and say racist what what is that even they'll, they'll be studying about it yeah. that's what my prayer would be yeah they'll be studying about what what's the racist well, oh why would you why would you treat somebody different because of their skin that's weird dad yeah yeah I know son it, it's weird you know, That's right. and that is already happening now. But even for me, at my age, it's just bringing more of an awareness of, hey, the bubble that that I live in here in Williamson County, mm-hmm. um, to where pretty much I write songs to my friends and I go play golf. You know, that's your, and we go to church yeah. and we go out and eat. So that's my little bubble, and most yeah. people have their bubble. All bubbles aren't the same. Some bubbles suck. You got that right. They really suck, and and. uh and so, so I'm more aware of that to where, to where I, I just, I pray for all people. I mm-hmm. pray for equality for everybody. I want everyone of, of every race. I don't want anybody to be hungry. There are people hungry in the United States. Why? They yeah. send billions out, you know, this is a whole different thing. Yeah, it's so but true you know what I mean? It's like, there's so many things, you know, we'll protect a rare caterpillar and spend $400 billion to save this, but there's kids in counties here in Tennessee that don't have food. Yeah, like to me, like the thing that's yeah. so mind-blowing to me was like when soon as COVID hit and they shut down the public schools, didn't hear that 55% of the students in the public school systems, only meal they'll get that day is at school. Right. That is really hard for me to stomach. Right. That's painful. Right. To know that the the level of starvation in a, in the public education system is so rampantly that high right. that there has to be an issue there that, that it needs to be addressed and why it's not being addressed is befuddling to me. Right. Cause it's not like it's the first time I've heard it's just the numbers keep getting higher, which is kind of scary. Yeah. And, and the thing is that uh, since I can remember music has played a very powerful role in spearheading change. You know, Neil Young has played a, a role in the Vietnam where a lot of people did too, John Lennon and that whole right. group. You almost sense that because we can't seem to catch the truth watching the news, 
But the power of music never goes away. It's so unbelievable. Right. You know, I, I remember all the great songs after 9-11. I mean, Joe Nickel had one of them. It was one of the mm-hmm. best of all. Alan Jackson, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. There were some amazing songs and, and albums written in that time. And it's those things, because they stick in our head, and even if we're, we're singing them, we're putting, if, it, if the song is done right and the words are right, you, all you're doing is feeding good stuff to the soul. Right. I almost sense that there's going to be something come out that provides a level of balance in thought that people can cling to. And I don't really, I don't really, really care who sings it, who does it, what genre gets the attaboy or girl. But it almost seems like music culture helps stabilize the unrest. Right. And it's been that way since then. I was born barely after Vietnam. Right. 73. But it just seems like music, music ties together so many things, whether it's celebration, victory, loss, pain, death, love, hate. All of those great things almost always get spit out in a song. And right. it, you get it out of your system. You throw it out into the universe for God to deal with, yeah. and then all of a sudden it comes back to you, and you have a different direction, and it always moves in the right in the right way. And I still have hope that things will go in the right way, because there are enough smart people out there that recognize things that need to get better. Right. I just don't feel like we can watch the news to figure out what that is. We got to figure out on our own. Yeah. No. It's it it it's really it's really tough. I mean, we I try not to watch it day and night you yeah. know because one it's going to be the same if you see it for 15 minutes in the morning you've, you've yeah. seen it yeah. it's, <laughs> and it's going to be a different you know personality that comes on yep. and and talks about stuff but but it is you know the whatever station you're watching they're catering to what you already think and they're they are celebrities you yep. know the whatever station you're watching that you're watching your celebrity tell you what you think already yeah you know and so you're being you're being fed that and so if they're trying to stoke you up, which they will, you'll be mad, you know, you just, and you just will. And it's like this, Hey, the other side says, you know, says, says this, and then you're, you're irritated. You're like, why does that, you know, and you think to yourself, why does half the world think the exact total opposite than me? Why? Why don't they just all think like me? That's right. You know, and they're thinking the same thing. And now well, I will say now it, it's interesting where you used to be able to have dialogue with you know, Republicans, Democrats, you know, you, you could have dialogue with your friends, but I'm actually noticing relationships changing. Oh yeah. And I would, I would never ever bring up politics really around anyone and start talking about, Hey, who you, who you voting for? Whatever. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to get that going in the room, you know, because as soon as somebody says something, that you don't agree with or you say something and assuming that person thinks like you, I've learned this, assume everyone thinks nothing like you and your life will be better. <laughs> that is such great advice. Because, because I'm, it will surprise you, the people that don't think like you. Yeah, no doubt. And you'll be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> big, big trouble. Well, we're going to have the opportunity to see if we have that right now because Kelly's going to play, play us a song. It'll be the fourth song oh, wow. ever okay. All right. on The Verge. So we're gonna let we're gonna unzip the guitar, yeah, and 
we're going to listen to uh, Kelly sing us a song before we delve into the things that he does to recharge his batteries. Okay. So, Kelly, tell me, tell me about the song that you're getting ready to play for us. All right, this is one of my uh, favorite songs. This is actually um, me and my co-writer, Lee Miller. Uh, we had got the opportunity to write with Brad Paisley a lot, and, you know, because, um, you know, the thing about business is location, 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 since mm-hmm. we've Brad and I live on the same farm. I have yeah. a good opportunity to pitch him all my terrible stuff so that hopefully <laughs> he'll hear something that that's good. But Brad is such a great writer. Um, he's very hard to impress, and and I respect that. Uh, so it's always a challenge, especially all the ground that he's covered, is to give him something new that you know that he'll like. Yeah. So so me and my co-writer, um, Lee, had really been trying you know, for the longest time to come up with something. He wasn't liking anything, you know. And so finally I threw out the opening two lines of this uh, song I'm going to play. And my co-writer, you know, Lee said, said, what's that? And I said, I don't know, but he'll record that. And he said, what's the title? I said, I don't know, but he'll record it. And then we got it and shaped it up in form enough to pitch just outline form, you know, just mm-hmm. a, a couple little lines, you know, here and there to pitch it to Brad. He ended up loving it. And we're over at my house on the farm and it's about four o'clock in the morning and, and we're all, you know, we got done with it and, we're high-fiving, you know, and laughing and everything, and Brad's playing it over and over again. So anytime you have the artist in the room high-fiving the straight-up songwriters, the straight-up songwriters are looking at each other saying, yes, we can stay in our house for one more year. This is awesome. <laughs> That's so true. And uh, about that time, you know, Brad gets a call, you know, and he said, he said, hey, your, your water broke? I, I'll be right over. I looked at my co-writer, and I said, this is a terrible time for a miracle child. <laughs> So Brad gets up and he goes, well, he's walking down my office steps and I'm sheepishly following behind him and get out there to the driveway and he's, he starts to jog a little bit and I said, hey, you want me to drive you over there? And he goes, he goes, no, I'm going to run. And his little white cowboy hat disappeared over the horizon. I said, do you still have the song? Ong, ong. <laughs> Nothing. Got crickets. You know. So the next day he calls and uh, he said, hey, it's a false alarm. He goes, everything's fine. You know, I said, oh, thank God. I'd stayed up praying and fasting all night for the child to be. He said, "Ah, you're an idiot." He said, "He said, said, hey, but I think we wrote a hit, hit, you know, last night." And I said, "Oh, really? I hadn't thought much of it, you know." So, so anyway, but actually, this is one of my biggest, uh, uh, probably biggest commercial uh, hits. I think it's as a three week number one, and um, and I love it just because the way that it came up and the way that it came out, and then uh, and then Frank Rogers did a, you know, a great recording on it, and. When they recorded it, nobody thought it would be a single. Really? You know? But I was praying for it. I said, people feel this way. Dudes, guys feel this way. You know, so anyway, I'll play you this one. When you see a deer, you see Bambi. I see antlers up on the wall. You see leg, you think picnics, and I see a large mouth up under that lawn. Well, I know you're thinking that you're gonna change me, and in a few ways, well, you might scrub me down, dress me up, all oh, but no matter what, honey, I'm still a guy. You see a priceless French painting I see a drunk naked girl 
You think that riding a wild bull sounds crazy Well I'd like to give it a whirl You know love makes a man do some things he ain't proud of And in a weak moment I might Walk your sissy dog, hold your purse at the mall But remember, I'm still a guy Then I'll pour out my heart, hold your hand in the car Write a love song that makes you cry And then turn right around, knock some jerk to the ground Cause he copped a feel as you walk by Well I can hear you now talking to your friends Saying uh, yeah girls he's um, come a long way From dragging his knuckles and carrying a club And building a fire in a cave but when you say a back rub means only a back rub Then you swat my hand when I try Hey now, what can I say at the end of the day? Honey, I'm still a guy And I'll pour out my heart, hold your hand in the car Write a love song that makes you cry and then turn right around, knock some jerk to the ground Cause he copped the feel as you walk by Well these days there's dudes getting facials Manicured, waxed, and Botoxed With deep spray on tans and creamy lotion-y hands can't grip a tackle box Yeah, with all of these men lining up to get neutered It's hip now to be feminized I don't highlight my hair I've still got a pair Yeah, honey, I'm still a guy yeah, my eyebrows ain't plucked There's a gun in my truck Oh, thank God I'm still a guy Yeah, boy Awesome <laughs> Thank you very much for doing that Absolutely, thank you That was fantastic <laughs> Well, you know, as we shift the show to the things that you do to recharge your batteries, you know, they usually, although COVID has made its made its presence felt when it comes to bringing people together, whether it be for 100,000 people to watch a football game or a concert or, or what have you, the connection pieces have been challenged a little bit. But when you were growing up, what were your favorite sports teams, sports players that you clung to when you were when you were a kid? You know, I, uh, Tennessee Vols, you know, mm -hmm. that was my, my dad, uh, was a huge Tennessee Vol fan, my, my older brother. I kind of went in and out when I was, when I was real young, but as you get in those teenage years and now, especially, you know, the older we got and then that, that's just cemented in me. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know, you bleed orange, you know, as they say, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, uh, I love that as far as, 
I loved. Um, I didn't really watch uh, a lot of baseball on TV, uh, but I loved baseball, and mm-hmm. I, I, that was the thing I was the best at in sports because I was. I played football in peewee league and all that, but I was so dang small. I mean, I was, yeah. I was you know, tiny, but I, lo- I loved to hit, and I loved to hit bigger people. I love getting – I mean, I, I like the hitting aspect, but you're just – just body-wise, you're just too too dang small. But but I loved I loved baseball. I loved playing shortstop, and we, you know, make all-stars and all that. And uh, loved, I, I loved doing that. So the two, two sports is, for me, uh, basketball sucked out. It's terrible at basketball. Uh-huh. Uh, but baseball – Football uh, and fishing as my as my nice. threes my go tos favorite shortstop. Uh, I don't know. I never really I never really got to know like the a lot of the players' names and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, like later on, I started watching the Braves a lot, you know. But yeah. I was really bad at knowing. Players you know, I, names. I know a lot of the, the Vols' names just because I read about recruiting. Yeah, like every morning and 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 every night. Like my brother works for CBS Sports twenty four seven, and uh, and I read that stuff, you know, like crazy. But I just wasn't I wasn't an educated fan back then. You just kind of watch what whatever yeah. was on was on TV, sure. you know. Well, UT's got the obviously right now they have the longest winning streak uh, going, yeah, and they're overdue to come out of the funk that they're that they've been in. Yeah, what's your what's your feeling on Jeremy Pruitt and the, the direction? It's almost like to me, the Alabama game last year woke up Jeremy Pruitt to be who Jeremy Pruitt is because he wasn't quite sure who he was going to be as a head coach. Is yeah. what it looked like. Yeah, he was trying to figure out his head coach identity and then plan his boss or former boss. And a couple of bad calls lit a fire under him, and he became the head coach of the Tennessee Vols with the attitude of the defensive coordinator when he was at Alabama. Super fiery and like, yeah. And ever since then, they have played very high quality football. Now they lost one other game after that Alabama game, yeah. But they have played very good since then. And UT is overdue, yeah, to to reemerge in the power of college football. Yeah. Do you sense it's coming? I, I do. I do, you know, and it, it's hard to predict, you know, uh, just because I'm now an educated fan uh, and I know what the other teams have on paper, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a tough pull. You know, uh, uh, the Georgias, Floridas, Alabamas, it, it's a tough pull. Can, can you win those games? Uh, yeah, you, you can. Everything needs to go right. You know, now last year, year before, say, can you win those games? Say, absolutely not. Yeah. Because you didn't have the personnel. Now, you know, I, I do believe Jeremy Pruitt is a winner. I think he's put together a great coaching staff, and I think they actually develop players. Uh, the last couple coaches that we've had, uh, they can recruit. They can say some good things, but the, but the the, ev- the evidence of being able to develop players it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The players either came there amazingly gifted, like uh, Josh Dobbs, Alvin Kamara, you know. Um, uh, there's uh, Cordell pa- uh, Patterson. Mm-hmm. You know, just they were unbelievable. Like as soon as they catch the ball, they do things people don't can't do, and you can't right. teach that stuff. So either they were either amazingly gifted, or they kind of just stayed the same. Derek Barnett. Okay, yeah, perfect example. Um, so not saying they didn't develop at all. It's just I feel like this coaching staff is really developing players. Their talent. And we're finally getting uh, the caliber of players to be able to compete, you know, with the top teams. And so I think Jeremy Pruitt will, and if whoever, you know, your listeners probably, a lot of them are saying, said, oh, that's crap. But, but I do believe Jeremy Pruitt will leave, will, will win a national championship uh, within the next two or three years. And the reason I say that, and, I, and a lot, you got to get a lot of good bounces to actually win a national Certainly. championship. But at least to be in the playoffs, he will. I feel 
certain that that Tennessee will be in in the playoffs in the next two or three years because the recruiting is catching up and we still need we still need more um, but we have some really talented guys he has upgraded the speed on mm-hmm. our team we were not even close to the speed of these other teams um, a couple years ago no, just couldn't just yeah. couldn't do it the kids were doing all they could do and they're, they're as talented as they can be but we we just had a talent deficiency sure and um and so the kids now i think he has them uh, on the same page and I, I believe they're playing for each other and they have learned how to win even though they the first two games against south carolina south carolina there's a lot of mistakes um but they still they still won mm-hmm. usually we're making mistakes you know a few years ago we're making mistakes and losing now we're making mistakes and winning yeah. and a lot of people can say well it's you know it's south carolina and missouri so far and and which, which is true because um, those programs are still they're building also um, but we are improving and we're get we're getting better and even even from week one to week two there was a lot of improvement i sure. felt like and so mm-hmm. as you can tell i'm passionate about this subject. that's good it's a great subject i like uh, it but uh, but yeah I'm, I'm very excited uh and i know this week coming up this is georgia hate week you know and, uh, and so it is uh this will be uh the biggest challenge by far and we're fixing to enter the gauntlet where we have oh, yeah. you know because we have i think georgia uh, kentucky alabama i mean it's you know you're getting you're getting a lot of a, a lot of tests and so but as a fan and for the program yeah. you know everybody's going to get to see you know real quick where are you really yep. you know and so we'll get to see that's right and so but uh, i'm not entering you know as a fan entering watching this game feeling like oh crap we're going to get killed Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way at all. Yeah, and, and I don't feel like, and, and no, I don't think any reasonable fan would say, "Oh, Tennessee's going to kill Georgia." I, I don't. I think that's uh, yeah. un, unreasonable based on how they played against Auburn. Mm-hmm. They were very dominant. That oh, defense yeah. is is explosive and fast. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see to see where we are. And for me, do I, do we want to win? Absolutely, of course. Can we? Yes, we can. But I mainly want to see. Just a competitive game, four quarters, and just being in that game. Yeah. Hopefully, come out on the end. But I just want to see them in the whole thing. You made a good point, though. I mean, you think about it. The year that they won the national championship, and that was '98. Mm-hmm. You know, if you would have thought that they would have gotten that lucky break against Arkansas mm-hmm. on the basically, they were just sitting on it. The game was over. Right. Like those, are the signs. Like this, this they have to win. That right. doesn't happen. For any other reason other than it's their time. Right. You know? Right. And I can think of so many other exact examples. Oh, yeah. There's that one game that you ha- they're on the ropes and they somehow figure out a way, yeah. whether it be luck or, you know, clutch play at the at the end of the game. Yeah, and just, the, just a, a right bounce, you know? Um, because when you get those top-tier teams, you know, and, they're, and you're playing at a national championship level, I mean, you know, outside of, I mean, Last year, I will say, uh, not a not a fan or or despise either one, but like Clemson, Alabama, last year, that that was shocking. That that wasn't a game, that was shocking. Yeah, you know, and that was a. Um, but normally, you know, you feel like you feel like either either team, you know, can win. It just depends on how it falls out. Because now with the playoff system, it's kind of it's just it, you just now you just never know you know That's you right. get two teams that are so different it's like you, you don't you don't know until they kick off who's going to do what so true but it's fun oh it sure is it's what's the, what's the greatest game you've ever watched live 
Uh, I guess the last one I saw, because I'm still so excited about it, was Missouri and Tennessee this last Saturday. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, just, just because uh, – no, I'm serious. Oh, you're saying live. Live, live yeah. Live. Um, this was – I can't tell you the year, uh, but I didn't go to a lot of a lot of Tennessee games uh, going up. My, my dad wasn't in great health, and we always kind of stayed and watched you know, with him and everything. But Chris Dubois took me to my first Tennessee game. If I remember right, it was at Legion Field. Uh, a really long time ago, I was married, but it was a long it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Because the reason I know it was a long time ago is because Tennessee totally dominated Alabama. I don't even know who Alabama's coach was at the time, but I think it was the last game played at Legion Field, mm. I believe. And and uh, um, uh, and we were sitting with a bunch of Alabama fans, and and they were. They were all cool. They had one one. They kept doing the elephant thing with their arm, you know, and, and they were making. They're almost making fun of their own team because they're kind of like, we've we've had our down years for a really long time, you know. Mm-hmm. So you you become humble and you just love your team and wait and hope everything comes comes along. And but we were kind of boat racing that day, and so that was really fun because that was my that was my first one. Um, the only other ones I've I've seen I've seen a bad bad things happen at Neyland a couple times mm-hmm. um, and so live uh, that would be the that would be the best one I guess just because we, we oh, just because yeah. we won uh-huh. you know? no doubt yeah. it's almost always how, the funny how it's the first game you go see or the first yeah. concert you go see that leaves such a massive impression yeah, on you exactly that like, hey, almost every person that I've asked like who, what was their favorite concert it's always the first one they went to when they were you know right. 16, 18 exactly. years old when you were growing up, obviously country music's been a huge part of your life. Who were your favorite musicians, bands, uh, when you were growing up? I loved, uh, and, and a lot of this actually started uh, when I was when I was in the army. I listened to Hank Hank Senior uh, like crazy, um, and uh, and Hank Junior, um, and then but then it got you know obviously Garth. You know was in. I remember I was I was going to MTSU. I think when I heard. Garth uh, sing two of a kind on the radio, and I was driving down the road, and I heard that came on. I thought, "Who the heck is singing that? That's freaking amazing!" Yeah, and just I had no idea what he looked like, you know. But but you know, Garth, uh, Clint Black, um, Alan Jackson, you know, Travis Tritt, just just so many of them, just because there were so many good songs, you know, during that time when I was just crazy about about country because yeah. when I was younger. You know, it was it was Iron Maiden and Rat and Poison and Def Leppard and you know ACDC, which I still love all that stuff. But we were all into you know all the rock stuff. And when I was finding who I who I was going to be, because you got to be a little find your oh, thing, yeah. be a little bit different. That's when I got into more of the uh, you know the Hank Jr. and stuff like that. And and it was important during those days to have uh, you know the cassette tape mm-hmm. you know, that was that was in your truck you want to make sure people see that in your seat that your seat like what you've got like you've got alabama oh, yeah. in there and you've got hank jr in there and you've got you know all, all this because then you're cool that's your identity that's your identity that's who, that's who you are and of course now it's weird because you can't you don't have anything to lay around <laughs> it's like true. hey there's my, there's my phone there's you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's so true it's so i was listening to uh you know, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is saying it's yeah. so different now at golf tournaments because nobody claps because they got their phone in their hand. Right. It's a lot louder now because people are yelling and screaming. Right. But there's no clapping. Right. And I'm like, how crazy times changed that in two, literally oh, yeah. in 2006, 
one type of life ended and another life oh, yeah. began with the iPhone. And it's kind of funny with the, with the phone. I, I've done it too. I've stopped doing it because uh, I've recognized it. But And you can watch. We're, we're in this, like, like imagine you're watching Tiger Woods walk down the fairway of Augusta, right? Until number one at Augusta. And you've got, and instead of watching him live as as one of the greatest athletes of all time, instead of watching him with your eyes walk by you, you're watching a smaller version of him on your phone. You're not even what you're not even looking at him. You're looking at him through your through your phone. phone. And then you'll show a few friends when you get home and then you'll never look at it again. You know what I mean? We kind of miss I think we miss a lot of these moments cuz we're recording stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then we post and all that all that stuff, but it's kind of funny how I don't know how many videos I've taken that I think is going to be great. And I take it and I've never looked at them. <laughs> Ever so true. So so you just kind of I've I've started to think, hey, you're not going to look at that. Just watch it. Mm-hmm. Watch the you know watch this happen. You know, and then let you know, let somebody else record. It. Hey, send me that. Send yeah. me that. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. So true. Because my, my favorite band tool, they yeah. don't let people bring their they don't let people record anything yeah. until the last song. Yeah. And they throw people cool. out. They throw people out. And it, yeah. I mean, and it was a, he's a huge fan. You're in these tool. I mean, in the in, the, in their fan groups, right. people get livid because right. they get thrown out of the concert. Well, what's the big deal? And he makes it very clear when he's talking. Like, you're here for an experience, right? Not to record it, right? Be here for the experience. Yeah. Put your damn phone down. Yeah. And I just sit back and think, like, I don't, I don't find myself being that guy. But I never really thought of it the way that the lead singer for Tool thinks about mm-hmm. it. And I just love that idea of we're, we're spending so much less time experiencing life right? that it's it's showing. Yeah, and, it, and, and I get it. I get why we want to do that. And, you know, we're recording something so that we can show people where we were instead of being where we are. You know what I mean? <laughs> so and and, I, and I've, I've done it, too. Yep. You know, but but I start recognizing it. You know, like when and I'm not anti social social media or anything like that because I, I get it. Mm-hmm. If you're an artisan or or you have a business, you know, a lot of people you have to to do stuff on social media. You have to, yeah. to to for your for your clients, for your customer base, for your for your fans, stuff like that. For me as a songwriter, I just started realizing I was trying to find all these cool moments to take video of and say, hey, here we're at this show with so and so. You know, check this out. And you're trying to and you're trying to think of the perfect caption for it. You'll take mm-hmm. a picture and say, oh, what's the caption? And then other things are happening that I'm missing missing over here, and I'm thinking of a funny caption. Then for me, I started thinking, you know what? Whether I'm posting something on, you know, Instagram or whether Twitter, or whatever, I'm not making money doing that. Like I'm not getting songs recorded by posting, uh, doing a doing a show, so you know, true. with with some someone. And so I just kind of stopped doing it because it because I'd rather just enjoy the time mm-hmm. instead of it, like being on stage and maybe you're doing a benefit or something. And you're and you're with Thomas Red or there's Kelsey Ballerini or there's or there's Hardy there right, sure. right beside you, uh-huh. you know, and and uh, or Kip Moore. And so instead of um, you know, listening to them, I'm I'm recording them, thinking, "Oh, this would be cool. I'll put this on my social media." You know what I mean? And so now, if I needed to do it for my business, I would have no problem doing it. But yeah. since I, I I don't need it, I've decided just to start trying to be more present. Sure. In the that's moment, a, it's you know? a great that's a great way to live. Favorite concert you've ever been to? Uh, Alabama, I guess the Alabama concert, and it was wow. in it was in Murfreesboro, and uh, Charlie Daniels was there. And so it was Charlie Daniels in Alabama. 
How good is that? It was just it was just so great. And and they were and you could hear and it's on that wooden stage and we, we kinda we had pretty good seats. I don't even know I forgot how we got them. It was such a long time ago, but um we were a pretty good piece away and you could hear Randy Owen stomping on that stage with those boots. I mean you could I mean it's so loud as thinking I say, man, he's going to get plantar fasciitis. But, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it was just so so cool, and you could watch, watch Charlie Downers. He was wearing out, and he was playing devil, went down to Georgia, and all, all that the hair on the bow that was just coming off. It was like, it's like man, he's going to have to get a new bow, you know? Yep. And it, it was just it was just epic. I loved yeah. it. To me, of all, obviously being in, a, in the athletic world, I always wonder what it's like to walk up to the microphone in front of, 50, 70, 90, 100,000 people and just play one note on your guitar and everybody knows what you're getting ready to sing. Yeah. Everybody's singing it back to you. And I can't imagine the feeling that you have to have to know that you've written something, sung something that connects this many people mm-hmm. to you. And you know, and some of my favorite, they write it from a moment of so much pain that it actually transforms their life from writing something that was so painful and hurtful to that you, you, you've you now surrounded yourself with 100,000 people that have suffered pain too. Right. And your song created a level of hope in them that right. now they provide the hope back to you. Mm-hmm. To me, that is just, that's probably the coolest feeling I could ever imagine. Right. And I just, I just love that when you see an artist that gets so overwhelmed, they almost start crying because of like what is going on. And that's what music does, man. It's oh, like yeah. a feeling, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like I just remember watching one from Royal Albert Hall, Adele, right? Who she can flat out oh, sing. Gosh, yeah. My gosh! And she sings a song that is so much pain for her, mm-hmm. and like you can hear the thousands of people singing it along with her. Right. And then she just breaks down at the end of the song. Right. I was like, that's living right there. Oh, that yeah. is amazingly awesome stuff for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think that it's like, I mean, people are like, I can't imagine we'll be like to hit it 340 yards off the tee. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me yeah, wrong, yeah. but it ain't that fun. Right. right. <laughs> like, speak for yourself. <laughs> right. Well, it's just kind of a, and, but it's, it's all relative though, you know, cause you could talk about the music thing there is a spiritual component to special songs, you know, and it, it, it moves you. It, I mean, it's, it, it touches your soul. It's just, it's more than entertainment. Yeah. Sometimes Sometimes it's entertainment. Sometimes it's, it's life changing. It's, 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 uh, it motivates you to, to do a whole career of something. It doesn't have to be music, but you can hear something in a, in a song and it makes you want to do the best at whatever you're doing. No doubt. And it, it, it encourages you. It motivates you. It's, it, it's moving it's spiritual but at the same time you know you can think about golf for that person who said hey i'd love to hit it you know pure shot you know or or whatever there there is something almost spiritual it went on the rare occasions when you hit a ball like you want to and and you can tell and it feels like a little pat of butter because you hit it right mm-hmm. in the face of that iron or whatever oh yeah and it and it goes in the air and it it draws or it fades just like you wanted it to because because the sport is so hard that can almost be spiritual as well. 100%. And it's something that you chase because you chase that feeling 
mm-hmm. you know, again, just like you, you chase the feeling of what you felt like when you were 18 driving down the back road, listening to a certain Alabama song sure, or whatever, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, you kind of chase those things just because they're rare and it's spiritual, I think. No question about it. That's what it is. That's what music is to me. Yeah. It is spiritual. I and mean, I have my, my bands and my songs. Yeah. But you're right. There are songs that literally transform who you become. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. Favorite movie? Uh, I would have to go with uh, Rambo First Blood God. just because of what it yeah, it, what it, it, yeah. it it changed my life. It made me, it was the key to pushing me to go join the army, which, which unlocked every other thing that I did in my life. Mm-hmm. So it has to be that. That's right. You know, and so, and, I, and, and from that, I mean, I love all the Sylvester Stallone stuff and he got so jacked and ripped in the, oh, and, yeah. and all the Rocky movies and, and, uh, and so, yeah, but I'd have to start with first blood. <laughs> I'm not here to protect him from you. I'm here to protect you from him. <laughs> Murdoch, I'm coming to get you. I love yeah. that movie. I haven't seen it in so long, but that is a, that's one of his very best movies. Oh yeah. For that, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's un- underrated as a writer and director producer and all that oh, I mean, yeah. and he just and people gravitate toward you know different actors and you know things like that you know no, no different than styles of music sure you know you might say well hey i love Sylvester Stallone." and somebody else says oh i don't you know i don't i don't get it i don't like that at yeah. all that's why there's a bunch of different people and a bunch of different actors and a bunch of different golfers and a bunch of different artists man you, you think know? about stallone stallone's history shows you the evolution of theater too mm-hmm. think about how great first blood was and the first rocky was yeah it was almost more plot than it was action yeah and as it evolved yeah, because when you watch it now go ahead but, but yeah. as it evolved yeah. it became more about the theatrical production in first blood two and three mm-hmm. and the the boxing the, the fighting went from you know what you'd see is blue collar fighting between he and apollo creed to they cranked it up with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan. Right. And then they right, right. really cranked it up with Dolph Lundgren and, and Rocky yeah. Four. And I didn't see anything after that. Yeah. But he, like, in my opinion, movies with real plot have diminished significantly mm-hmm. recently. It's now about what can you blow up and how much special effects can you right. create to maybe create a virtual reality scenario in your mind. But there's so much less awesome stories being told right and then to see how it evolved because rocky the original rocky has a lot more plot than it does boxing in it oh yeah yeah and 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 all the hope because it's always you know from the from even even from first blood to be to you know obviously you're talking about like vietnam war and stuff like that but he's he's you know the the outcast you know and he's he's but but everybody pulls for him you know, because you know, because of what he's what he's went through and everything, but then you have Rocky to where it's it's the story we always love. It's it's the it's the person who's who's come from nothing, didn't have his real support system, didn't have money, stuff like that, to to do what whatever he wanted to do and go to the pinnacle of that and that those are the things that give you hope to make you think you can do anything too. No doubt. You know, and that's why the, the, those things, I just watch those over. Because when you watch, when you go back and you watch Rocky 1 now, it takes forever to get to something exciting. It's, no it's, it's, it's a huge, long build up to where I'm like, 
God, what I used to love this. This takes freaking <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know? But I thought so it was the true. greatest but because you're right, because now movies move so fast mm-hmm. that when you go back and watch one of those, you're like, like, wow, I didn't I didn't realize how long it took to get to something. You know, <laughs> you know, here. Nor did I realize how uh like the movie The Jerk. Like I remember I, I remember loving that movie and I played it for my stepson who's his name's McCain. He he's maybe eleven years old. I said, I said, oh, we gotta watch the jerk, it's hilarious, you know. I was watching. I didn't realize how off color that that movie was. I was like halfway, th- or not even in a quarter way through. I was like, hmm. So we probably shouldn't be watching, watching it. Yeah, well, maybe he'll go to sleep. <laughs> so true. Oh, that is so true. My goodness. Well, golf obviously plays a huge role in your life enjoyment. It's a day. It's a daily passion of yours yes where did you get involved in golf and what does golf mean to you today um where i got involved with golf i got pulled into it um and it came from chattanooga there's a organization uh that i that i'm now the celebrity friend for which is called bethel bible village and and it's a christ-centered home for kids in crisis and so i remember and it's in hickson tennessee which is in chattanooga so i remember going to school all the time and I would pass by that property and it was these houses, but they'd all the houses would have like 10 or 15 bikes there. And I thought, man, it's cool. I got so many bikes. That must be a fun place. I didn't know what it was really. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you find, and you found out what it was and said, Oh, it's, you know, it's a children's home, you know? And so anyway, um, uh, Ron Thomas, who was worked there, uh, for a long time, he called me I was in Nashville. This was years ago. It was probably 16, 17 years ago. And it was a very busy time, you know, career wise, everything was, taken off and you're just working around the clock and striking wild, wild irons hot so to speak mm-hmm. and he called and he said hey kelly you know my ron thomas you remember playing baseball with my me and my boys and stuff and so oh, yeah you're running and he goes hey we got this golf tournament coming up and uh, chattanooga bear trace and pat boone's our celebrity friend and and we want to see if you'd come help us out you know and i said i said sure i said i said i'll so what do you want me to do he goes he goes well we want you to you know play in our golf tournament and i said I said, I said, oh, oh, Ron, I, said, I don't, I don't play golf. I said, uh, I said, but I'll, I'll come. I'll, you know, I can cook chicken for you. I can cook. Uh, I can play songs. You know, whatever. Uh, I said, but I, really, I can't play golf. And he goes, he goes, well, I really want you to play. And um, I said, I said, Ron, like I said, I, I don't, I don't play. I've never played. You know, and I say, is there something else I could do? And he, and he goes, he goes, we really want you to play. And I was getting irritated. I was like, so you want me to learn a sport? Right here, you know, and I'm just thinking things like, and I'm looking at my desk, and I'm looking at things I got to do, and I'm behind on everything, and and I'm like, like I got time to learn a freaking sport. Like golf wasn't a thing. Like when, where I was coming up, mm-hmm. it just wasn't a thing back then. And um, and or I say my friends weren't doing it, so we sure. were doing other things, mm-hmm. you know. And so so we looked. At, I looked at golf as a then, and my friends as as just a um, just a, a small sport that other people did you know because because yeah. you know just what it just wasn't our thing so so uh so anyway i told him that i said okay i'll, I'll do it because i'm because that's that pleaser nature in me so i said mm-hmm. I'll, i can't disappoint anybody so i'm not gonna say no but i hung up and i'm i'm pissed you know i'm like i'm like, i can't believe i've got to go learn a sport so i called franklin country club which doesn't exist anymore and i called the pro there and i said i said hey man i said so i got a little bit of an issue and and uh, he said what you got i said i said well so i've got a tournament coming up in a couple weeks and 
And, uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, what's the issue? And I said, well, I've never held a golf club before. And he said, well, what do you want me to do about it? I said, I just want you to show me how to hold it. I just want to, I don't want to kill anyone, you know, cause I, you know, I don't want to humiliate myself. So I went and I went ahead and took my wife over. I thought, well, if we're getting a new sport, I'll just take her too. So we went and took a lesson and I wasn't not a naturally gifted golfer at all. It was hard, you know, and then I went to, uh, the golf range, you know, a couple nights down there that, uh, at a, there was a night range down off Columbia Avenue at the time. And, and I hit a few times through the green, right? Through the green. Yeah. I used to work. It's a cool first little job. Nine, yeah. It's a cool little nine hole course. You yeah. play at night time and, and it's good for me to play at night because nobody could see, see me that much, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I wasn't a natural there, but I thought, okay, I don't think I'll kill anyone. So I took that anxiety away, but I still was nervous about it. I borrowed clubs from my younger brother, Corey, who doesn't play golf and they probably cost 50 bucks. I mean, they're terrible golf clubs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know where he got them, but they're terrible golf clubs. And, um, and so anyway, so we, but when we got there and I was dreading it the whole time and then we got to Bear Trace Golf Course and, uh, it was in Chattanooga and, and we got there and it was about seven thirty in the morning. We got into golf carts and the, I was playing with a retired, uh, major from the army. He's smoking this pipe. It smelled so good. They had Bojangles sausage and biscuits and we started taking off down there and you could see the mist coming off the water, Lake uh, Chickamauga Lake there. And we're going down through the big pine trees and everything was so green. And I was thinking, oh, I could get into this, you know, and then I was kind of allured into the whole thing of it and the golf hadn't even happened yet. Mm -hmm. So then we get around to our hole where we were, I think we started on hole five or seven. And so we get around there and and it was just our cart, you know, and I I looked at the major, I said, so, so it's just it's just us. And he goes, yeah, what'd you think? Rockstar, there's going to be a gallery. And I said, yeah, I didn't know. I mean, all I've seen is Tiger Woods playing on TV. There's tons of people around him. I thought somebody come out here to see us. And, um, and so I was kind of excited about that. I thought, oh, this would be good. Nobody will be able to see the humiliation except for these three people. Yeah. So anyway, he was helping me out. And in, in the beginning, he's real nice. You know, he said, he said, uh, I said, Hey, what do you think I ought to hit here, Major? And he goes, He goes, Pull you out a nine iron and hit one up there. So that went on throughout the day. It's about hole 17. He, really, I mean, I sucked. I mean, you've never played before. So, so by that, but I'm still excited, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so he, but he's over it and he's, and we're doing terrible. And, and um, I said, What do you think I ought to hit here, Major? And, and hole 17, he goes, He goes, Oh, hell, just, I don't care. Just pull out whatever you want. And I'm thinking, Oh, I will come back and beat you, old man. Uh, I, that, and that motivated me to, I went home, I got new, new equipment, new, new everything, started taking lessons, and I, I played and practiced until I got as good, because I started finally realizing why, why it wasn't a cool thing for me to tell my buddies, you know, said, said, hey, I play golf now, let's go out and play, and they're like, oh, yeah, and they'd you know, she going, well, but because they're all shooting in the eighties and, yeah. and I'm shooting a hundred and something. So, yeah. so I, I, I got so fascinated with it then and I tried to get really, really good. Uh, and I played and played and played and got to a level where I could, you know, and I, where, and my goal was I wanted to be the A player on our scramble team. Cause I was going to be doing that tournament every year. And so, so by the next year is much improved by the second year, I was the A player, meaning that they weren't that good anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then I became our a, a player. Uh, but that's where my that's where my start. It's a long story, but yeah. that is that. That's, that's how awesome. I got involved in golf. I got drug into it, and then I freaking love it. Uh, eat and breathe it. You know. <laughs> and you had a follow up. Uh, you said, "Is it what does it mean to me today?" I think. Yeah. What does what golf you, mean to you today? Um, today, gosh, it's such a whole different thing. Because um, you mentioned, you know. Tiger Woods and all the greats of the game. It's just, and, and that, that helped too. Uh, and I wasn't following golf like that. Um, but 
is to know that and it's even even more so now with uh with uh is it Shambo uh, Bryson DeChambeau. Bryce, yeah, DeChambeau. And now it's a whole different physical level now, but but it didn't used to be like this masculine and and women are great golfers too when i say masculine i'm just thinking from my guy perspective you know because we were fishing and hunting and all this all this stuff but then you got tiger woods come on the scene and he's get bigger and all jacked and everything and you get and there it is a you know an athletic uh sport which i which i i love that but for i guess for me it's it's such a challenge because it is a very difficult sport Mm -hmm. but it's also the, the only sport that you can play as you get older that you one you can get better at two you can stay in shape doing it uh you can challenge yourself you can enter tournaments for you it's your masters and it's just your club championship um and it's one of those things where in those little tournament ter- tournaments you know you, you tell you miss a shot or whatever and you get mad say dang man I just freaking lost you know and then your buddy might say oh, dude come on it's just a just just tournament doesn't doesn't mean anything and i'm like said I said, you know what? It doesn't mean anything, but it means everything. <laughs> it's you, so true. You know what I mean? It just Absolutely. does because it becomes part of your whole life to where mm-hmm. if you have a bad round, you start thinking, you know what? I'm a ter- I suck at golf. I'm a terrible golfer. I'm a terrible husband, terrible father, <laughs> terrible songwriter. I don't even know why I'm here. Why, why am I even here? <laughs> I, I, I serve no purpose. <laughs> I can't make a three-foot putt. I serve no purpose. Take me, God. Take me. Yeah. No, don't. Don't Cut take me. me. I'm no. going to get better. No, no. I'm going to get better. <laughs> you know? um, but no, it's, it's just such a, uh, it, 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 it's, so, I don't know. It's such a huge thing. Um, it, it's the only thing that I really think about outside of God, family and work, you know, and, and golf is intertwined in, mm-hmm. in all of it. I mean, I pray about my golf around and I don't spend time on it but if mm. I'm playing golf today like I, I prayed for this today yeah. I prayed for our, our interview that we had a good time that things that we said might matter to somebody that's yeah. listening out there uh, and I, I prayed for uh, I prayed for my, if I was playing today and I'd say hey Lord just let me um, just let me you know be able to play as good as I can play and, and, and don't get nervous over the things I've been working on and hopefully I'll have a good day I can be a light in our foursome yeah. and you know just pray about everything but anyway it's all interwoven into into my whole life. Yeah. It's it's strange because golf is this bizarrely and deceptively difficult endeavor that when everything is going good is so radically simple, you can't figure out why is it so damn hard. Right. And then when it's not going good, you're like, why does it seem so simple? Right. <laughs> it's such right. a dichotomy. But right. there's no middle ground. Yeah, like when you hit a when you hit a good a good shot my mind immediately goes to instead of just enjoying the shot for a moment you do say god that looks that looks good that's that's hit that's hit right and then on the, and then you're happy for a moment and then on the way to your golf cart you're thinking okay now how did i do that cuz i need to replicate that and then you think i don't know was it did i get to my left side quicker was i what was i doing was i was my shoulders moving faster and then by the next you freaked yourself out so much because you've hit a good shot the next one you can't even you miss it you know that's so true <laughs> i've had i've had a bunch of really awesome sports psychologists and sports you know at mental coaches and one of the things that was really powerful for me that was really helpful for me is good friend of mine, Stephen Yellen, who's my opinion, the greatest coach in helping people understand how to access their talent. So like every strum of the guitar you've ever played is stored in the black box in your mind. Right. So when you step up on stage, <clears throat> how to overcome the fear of not performing well 
is very similar to stepping onto the golf course and remembering that you're a good player when you maybe didn't hit it so good on the driving range when you get out right. there. And the thing that's so fascinating is that muscle motion cannot break down. That was like, mm. wow, what does that mean? It's the only, like, you cannot break down muscle motion. The only thing that breaks down is your access to the motion. So if you think too much about, that's very common, like you hit a good shot and instead of enjoying it, the only thing you think about is what did I do just then so that I can replicate it over and over and over right. again? <clears throat> well, you already can. It's kind of like the movie The Matrix. You have to learn how to mm -hmm. get out of your own way. Right. So when, I, when I'm coaching people, I've had to spend a lot of time talking, learning how to talk the right way at the, at the right cadence to take your mind off of what you're trying to do mm -hmm. because you already know how to do it. Right. And learning how to access your talent is a very subtle act, but once you get it, you got it. Right. You know, so I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts on this. It's like, yeah, when you, when you're getting ready to walk out on stage, guitar in hand for a songwriter's night or whatever, Every one of those matter. Oh, yeah. They're a big deal. Yeah. How, what are some of the things that you've done that are similar to golf that gets you in the right place that you can sit on that chair and just zone out? Um, <clears throat> for me, uh, because when I'm doing one of those uh, writer shows, what I generally am is I'm, I'm the guy keeping it all going, you know, much like if I'm, in a co-write, I'm bringing the idea mm -hmm. to, to get something going. So, uh, and comedy, I, I love making people laugh. That's my biggest thing. Yeah. And like, you know, like, so, so just like if I'm preparing, uh, to, you know, for golf, we practice, the more practice I've done, the more prepared I feel on the first tee. Yeah. I don't know where the balls can go for sure, but I say, Hey, I've hit quite a few balls. This week. I feel, I feel good about it. Yeah. You know? So, and just like if I'm if I'm having a show, and and Neil uh, Thrasher, you know your buddy too, uh, will make bust on me sometimes. He goes, he goes, hey, what are you doing right now? So I'm just working on stuff for tonight, you know, and talking about a, a writer show. We just had one over mm -hmm. Vanderbilt Legends, and and um, and and I've kind of gotten tired of myself a little bit, a little bit of my bits and stuff mm -hmm. in between the songs, and 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 so I just wanted to have some new stuff, you know. I I worked on that that show for about six hours that day and and i did i started to write i wrote some stuff you know some comedy stuff down i went over every song that i could possibly play twice and he'll say why do you do this you've done you do so many shows you said i said i know but but i'll feel more prepared i don't want to i don't want to to be playing like i'm still a guy and that be the first time i've played it in three weeks yeah i want to know that i know those words yep. you know what i mean so mm -hmm. so for me, like for golf and for shows uh, and for rights, for me, it's preparation. That's what relaxes me. Yeah. And then even before I step on stage, <clears throat> even before I stepped on stage, uh, that night was just, uh, it was Friday night. No matter how much you've prepared, right before I get on stage or right when I set up there, I think, I don't know if I'm going to do my new stuff. 
I don't know if I have confidence to do it, even though I've already practiced it over and over and over again. Yeah. But then you make yourself do it. And once things get rolling, you get that first song going or you just start talking, you know, then you get into your automatic stuff and, mm. and the things that you're gifted at just kind of come through as opposed to thinking about everything so much. Um, but to me, I go back to the preparation. I say, hey, you're prepared. And, and even even in which helps in golf being okay with making a mistake yeah like in our shows i'm okay i used to not be okay with that uh i used to if i mess up a word if i have to stop i'll, I'll freak out it'll be over i don't know what i'd do well now it's possible i might forget a word i rarely ever do uh but i have and then it's okay then you just kind of start over you just pick up and i'm not worried about it and hmm. i don't i just don't think about it i don't think is somebody gonna think i suck because i forgot a a word or line, yeah. you're human. That's right. And you mess up. And so, and that correlates with where I'm trying to get to golf wise too. Sure. And not overanalyze everything and be all right. If I push a shot, you know, if I can find my ball, if I know where it is, yep. you got a chance. That's exactly right. You know, Bubba Watson says, I just need to know I got another shot. If I got exactly. a shot, I yeah. don't care. Exactly. I hate, I'm a professional at hitting it everywhere. Yeah. Final question. You get a chance to play one round of golf with three others where are you playing and who are you bringing with you oh um i have played augusta i i got to i got to do that so i i wouldn't say I, that wouldn't that i wouldn't do that are we talking about just are we talking about anybody on the planet or are you talking about who would what friends would you bring either like who what would be the three people that you'd want to play, play uh with? i would i would definitely I would, I would bring neil thrasher with me because whatever cool I did, I'd want him to experience that instead yeah. of telling him about it. <laughs> um, and I would love to play with Tiger Woods. That would be amazing. Yeah. I'd be scared to death. Mm -hmm. um, and who would I want the fourth one to be? I think Virgil. You think me? I think, yeah. I think I think you. Yeah, that's very kind of you I would, to do that. I think I would take you. That's two shows in a row for me. I'm getting in, thrown into that last foursome. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, because that would be an epic foursome. <laughs> that would be an epic foursome. And then uh, that way you could also tell me, because there's selfish motivations to it. Yeah. Once we got back, and and I'm assuming we're flying private. Of course. Um, in this dream scenario. That's right, G5. Um, G5, yes. Yeah. Um then once we talked about how cool it was, you know, playing with Tiger Wood was everything, we I say, okay, so Virgil, you saw me play all day. Uh, what do you think? How can you help me? What, where did I go wrong? And then you could tell me all the things I need to work on. And then it would be fabulous. We played Tiger Woods, and then I would know all my deficiencies. You and have I a dream. I, I got a plan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing segue. Amazing segue. <laughs> well, I think that when, when, you, when you think about bringing in a superstar like Tiger Woods. One of the coolest things that you could have on the side of that <clears throat> is a conversation starter that has, that has this weird gift of gab that can open everybody up. Mm -hmm. You know, because Tiger's a pretty introverted dude. Right. But he's bizarrely brilliant. Right. Super duper smart. But he's afraid to, on his own, open up. Mm -hmm. But when you get him around somebody that makes him feel good. It's amazing the stuff that comes out of his mouth. Wow. And it's, it's like, a, a, if I have people on here, it's like, they're saying, well, I would love to play with Ben Hogan. 
<clears throat> and Tiger Woods. And then they'll say, well, who do you think would be a great person as the fourth? And the two people that pop into my head the most are Arnold Palmer and Phil Mickelson mm-hmm. because they have this and I think Arnold Palmer, number one, because there isn't a stranger in the world to Arnold Palmer. Right. And he has the ability to bring out the best in everybody. Right. It was amazing. That's like, the, of all the gifts, he had that, that was his greatest gift. He never, he never forgot you. When he looked at you, you felt like he knew you. Right. Even though he's the first time you've ever met him. And he has this bizarre way of walking into a room full of 20 introverts, and in five minutes, everybody's laughing their ass off, telling stories, and it's just magic. Right. And like, that's the thing about chemistry. You know, it's like you have to have a, you can't have all of the same people there. Right. You got to have a nice blend to bring out the, the idiosyncrasies in each people's personality. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Obviously, Thrasher and you, you guys are like peas and carrots, right. you know, but to, you know, he, Tiger loves music. So right. just the mere fact that you guys could be sitting around and there's parallels to what you guys do, mm-hmm. that would be a really cool experience for yeah. sure. Yeah. And to know that I'm coming along and make Tiger, that's a little, that's a little sloppy at the top there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he'd be like, what do what, I do? Right. All right. Yeah. Right. So, so look, I, I came. I didn't come here to instruct. I came here to have a good time. Yeah, that's right. right. I mean, so just, can we just play? Can we? Here's my card. If you right now, I'm actually here with Kelly. Um, but we're just here playing. I, mean, I appreciate you coming along. Yeah, but. yeah. Tiger, just just send me. You know, just send me your swing on the phone. That's how we're doing it these days. I'll, I'll take a look at it. Yeah, just send it to me. It's yeah. good. Well, Kelly, I can't thank you enough for one singing a song here and telling, sure. giving us the scoop on your on your processes of, of what you do to become one of the greatest songwriters in the world, but and also share your life and the things you love to do. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much, brother. My pleasure. And that was awesome. Thank you. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.